Hi, everyone. I have a couple of things that I want to share with you. So often, people tend to focus on things that are missing. Dennis Prager calls it the missing tile syndrome. You walk into a room, and all you see is the missing ceiling tile. Human beings and human nature and human behavior is always a fascinating subject to talk about. There's always something interesting that people do. For example, uh, recently, uh, there was a family that was sitting shiva for their loved one. And I'm sure so many people came to visit them and offer condolences. But they called me and said, where were you? Like what, what they were looking at is not all these wonderful people, the people who actually came to talk to them, but rather those who didn't come. And maybe they're getting angry about myself or maybe others that didn't actually come to the Shiva. And they could even carry around that baggage for a long time. I know it's hard. Look, I wish I could, I could be everywhere. I really do. It's very hard. And as time goes on, I find that I have less and less time. And I, I sometimes cannot physically make it to the Shiva that I wanted to make it to. What I want to say is that, and I know it's hard, I'm not saying this is going to be easy for you, but instead of remembering the hundreds of people who came to visit and share in your pain and take comfort from the love that those gave to you, why be busy with just one thought? How can that one person who maybe I thought was my close friend or the person, the rabbi, right? Everybody has this unrealistic expectation of rabbis. The rabbi didn't come. Why didn't the rabbi come? It happens often, for example, when young people get engaged. People will call and wish you best wishes, mazel tov. People who haven't spoken to you in years will send you cards, gifts, best wishes. But the one person who forgets to call, who may have even had a good excuse, and whatever that excuse is, people will remember them more than everyone else, more than all the good, more than all these amazing people. It's almost like all these other people, what did you do? You were there, you did the right thing, and you're not remembered. Why am I talking about this? Why am I bringing up and conjuring some difficult memories for some of you? This week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is Titsaba. It's the only portion in the entire five books of Moses from the time that Moses is mentioned, which is the beginning of the book of Exodus, of Shemot, where Moses' name is not specifically mentioned. Every other portion from Exodus all the way to the end of Deuteronomy, the rest of the five, the four of the five books of Moses that are about Moses, every parsha, every portion mentions Moses' name besides this one. In the book of Exodus, we're told about the birth of Moses. The end of the book, we're told about him passing away. And every parsha in the middle, it speaks about him besides this one. Here in our Parsha, 
Moses' name is not even mentioned once. There's a beautiful sticha that the Rebbe quotes the explanation of the famed Bauhaturim. This commentary explains that it's actually connected with an ultimatum that Moses gave to God. Moses says, please erase me from your book that you wrote if you don't forgive the Israelites, the Jewish people for the sin of the golden calf. Now, since a righteous person, every word, even conditional words, have an effect on the universe, the words of Moses had an effect. It resulted, according to the Bawa Turim, that one entire Torah portion, our current portion, erased Moses' name. The Rebbe adds that by divine providence, the portion of Tetzaveh is the Torah portion that is often read in the week which falls the seventh of Adar, the day of the birth and the passing of Moses. It's beautiful. It's just divine providence and nothing is coincidental, especially in the Torah, nothing's coincidental. So I think it's a really beautiful message. But what's really happening here? That there's no portion of the Torah that talks about Moses, that doesn't talk about Moses other than this portion. Anyone studying this portion will immediately notice that Moses' name is missing. And it's going to ask the question, as a child will ask the question, how can it be that Moses' name is not mentioned? And lots of commentators are busy with this question. After all, because he's missing from the Parsha, he's remembered even more than any other Torah portion. No one, and last week's portion talks about Moses being missing or not there, or, oh, by the way, it's Parsha Truma. Moses showed up. Nobody else says that. I don't see any other portion. People said, oh, look, and Moses is here. Shocked. No one's shocked. But the one portion that Moses is missing, everyone's shocked. It's actually an interesting phenomenon that's similar. That's the phenomenon in the book of Esther. We're in the month of Adar. This year we have 60 days of Adar. So it's a leap year. And so we're not going to be reading the book of Esther for another six weeks or so. In, in the book of Esther, the book of Esther is the only book of the Tanakh that does not mention God's name at all. Actually, when you're learning to be a scribe, most of the time a scribe will write one or two books of Esther because it doesn't mention God's name. And it's a great way for a scribe to practice the, the process of writing in a Torah or writing in a scroll. What's interesting is that it's a phenomenon that's not to be believed. But here you have an entire Tanakh. You have the five books of Moses. You have all the prophets. You have all the scriptures, all written according to our tradition under divine inspiration. And you have one entire book describing a miracle that happened to the Jewish people, and it doesn't mention God's name? So the simple explanation that's given to 
this phenomenon is that the Megillah, this book of Esther, was written in Persia, and the sages were concerned that if it contained God's name, then when the Persians would translate it to their language, they would replace God's name with the names of false gods. And as you know, and I've spoken about this before, idolatry is the worst offense, right? It's in the it's number number two of the top ten. So the sages thought that it would be better not to mention the name of God in the book of Esther at all. It's one explanation. But the Rebbe explains there's something even deeper going on here. The Rebbe points out that there are two kinds of miracles. There are those miracles that upend the very order of nature and the very order of physics, like the splitting of the sea. That was an open miracle that was seen by all. The, the, the sea of reeds split. And then you have miracles that are hidden inside the natural order, like the story of Purim, which a person can claim resulted because of a, a confluence of factors. It wasn't necessarily a miracle, just kind of different things happened. Esther, of all people, was chosen to be the queen. You could say it's coincidence. And Mordechai saved the king's life a short time after that. Maybe you can say it's coincidence. And when the queen, Esther, came to the king to beg for mercy for her nation, the king took pity on her and decided to change the decree. All these things happened very clearly within nature. It wasn't like, my gosh, the Sea of Reeds split. And if you really want to, you can insist that in the book of Esther, there's no miracles. The Rebbe says that's because it was a miracle that was hidden within nature. God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther to symbolize this fact. That in the Purim miracle, God's hand was not openly seen. But what's most interesting here is that the very fact that God's name does not appear in the book of Esther is the very thing that causes everyone to talk about God and discuss God's presence in the story of the Jews of Persia and the story of Esther over and over again. And in Tanakh, you actually have a story that uses this very technique explicitly. You've probably heard about the story of David and Goliath, probably one of the most famous stories of all the, uh, of all the Bible. And how King Saul promised uh, his daughter to a man who would slay this Philistine giant. Then after this unknown young shepherd boy named David came forward and actually killed Goliath, David became really popular among the people. So when King Saul, David, and, and the entire army returned from the battle in which David killed Goliath, all the, the woman folk awaiting them, saying out, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And immediately after that, the story continues that Saul wasn't very happy. This, this displeased him. And he said, they ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they ascribed the thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And so Saul eyed David from that day on. Now, there's something very sad that happened. On the one hand, Saul promised David, his daughter, 
But on the other hand, this uh, fearsome spirit of jealousy had descended upon him. What's more, with David, every passing victory on the battlefield, Saul hated him more and more, to the point that actually Saul tried to assassinate him twice. So now David is the king's son-in-law on the one hand, and the mortal enemy of the king on the other hand. (laughs) I mean, I guess maybe somebody would joke that David was his mortal enemy, he was his son-in-law, but that's not why. So David flees for his life, and he hides out in in the desert. And Jonathan, who's Saul's son, and David's best friend, is sent by his father to summon David. When Jonathan finds him, he tries to convince him to return to the king's palace. And David says to him, your father tried to murder me twice. And that's what he wants to do this time too. He just sent my best friend to get me. But Jonathan argues with David and says, this doesn't make any sense. My father shares all the secrets with me. If he wanted to kill you, I would have already known about it one way or another. And Jonathan suggested a way for David to check what Saul really thought about him. He said to him that tomorrow will be the first day of the Jewish month, which is called Rosh Chodesh, the head of the new month. And that Rosh Chodesh, this month, he says, is not one but two days. And the custom was that every first of the month was marked with a festive meal, the same way that we have a festive meal on Shabbat or on Purim or any of the holidays. And so Jonathan said, you will be remembered because your seat will be remembered. The plan was that David would not be attending the king's feast and that his chair would remain empty and his absence would would catch Saul's attention and that the king would ask why David was missing from the king's table. And at that point, Jonathan would answer that David had gone to Bethlehem to visit his family And he wanted to see what Saul's reaction would be. And that's what they did. At the feast, the first day on Rosh Chodesh, David was clearly missing, with his set place remaining empty. But Saul paid no attention to it. He thought to himself that it was just a coincidence. On the second day, when David again did not show up for the feast, King Saul this time turned to Jonathan and asked him, why has the son of Jesse, referring to David because David's father was Jesse, why has the son of Jesse not come both yesterday and today to the feast? And Jonathan replies that he had asked him for for permission to go visit his father's house in Bethlehem for the feast, for the Rosh Chodesh feast. And Saul's wrath flared against Jonathan. He said to him, send for him, take him to me, for a son of death is he. Now, my friends, now the cat is out of the bag. The long knives had come out. Saul had explicitly stated that he wanted to kill David. And Jonathan saw that it wasn't David's paranoia, but a real situation. This concept of presence marked by absence is so common within Jewish history, within our world, within our lives, that it works with God too. The sages tell us that 
one who's accustomed to attend the synagogue, but doesn't attend one day, God asks about him. God wants to know where he is and what happened that he didn't show up. Is he not feeling well? And if so, God worries about him. There's a there's an old uh, an old joke about uh, let's call him uh, Abe. Abe doesn't come to synagogue one day. Abe's 105 years old, so the rabbi calls him up and says, "Abe, where were you? Uh, you never miss synagogue. Was everything okay?" He says, "Look, Rabbi, when I was 90, I thought that was it. God was going to take me any day. Then I turned 95. I'm like." God's going to take me any day. Then 100, I turned 100. That's it. I'm I'm almost dead. 105, I figured by now God forgot about me. I don't want to remind him. But on a much higher level, outside of the jokes, through Kabbalistic philosophy, it explains that when a Jew prays to God, and prays for the needs of another, not even uttering half a word about their own needs. God then wonders. It's interesting that this human, this person forgets to pray for themselves. And then God remembers them and sees all this person needs, blessing them with children, with life, with abundance, and with prosperity. And so with this, I want to wish you all a wonderful Shabbat. And I hope that you could see the positive of that which is missing and not the negative. It's so easy to focus on the missing tile. It's so easy to focus on the negative. But what we, what we really want to focus on today, what we need in our world more than anything else, is the focus on the positive. Hashem should bless each and every one of you that you should be seen for who you are, for the essence, for the beautiful human, for the beautiful person that you are. And God obviously should remember Israel, remember the difficulty that the people are going through and bring peace, bring prosperity. And to all the soldiers, there should be no more death. To all the hostages, every single one of the 134 hostages, that's still almost five months later, are being held in captivity, innocent people, each one of them, even before I finish this conversation with you, should be returned home unscathed. Hashem should remember us and that those who, heaven forbid, could be forgotten, they should never be forgotten. Never, ever, never, ever. L'chaim, Shabbat Shalom. To be continued. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode. 